Because Money was originally recorded as a video podcast, so there may be visuals that don't carry through to this audio-only version. Please visit becausemoney.ca to see the show notes, related links, and more. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Because Money podcast. I'm Jackson Middleton, joined by Sandy Martin in black and white and Kyle Prevo in color. Kyle just shaved his head. It's looking pretty shiny. I like it. Sparkly. And our special guest today is Richard Finney. He's from Regina, Saskatchewan. Some people call him Rick. Some people call him Richard. He goes by both. I think they mean the same thing. He is representing thelaunch.ca. It is a website geared towards entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs, the start, the hustle, the game, it's all of that. And uh, yeah, Rick, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. So we're going to talk about entrepreneurship. We're going to talk about mistakes entrepreneurs make. We're going to talk about starting businesses kind of tied into finance. Uh, And I mean, Richard's obviously a great guest because he deals with entrepreneurs all the time. And he's a real good communicator. I've known Richard for quite a few years. And he communicates well. Honestly, I'll say this because he won't. He's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. And he's genuine. You have a coffee with him and he cares and he wants to learn. So I'm excited to have him on as a guest because he will then share lots of cool information. So tell us a bit about the launch and uh, with particular focus to the launch 12 in 12 because I think that's kind of exciting. Now you've set that bar extremely high for being a good communicator so now I can't stumble over my words or anything. Um, Yeah, so what the launch is um, and uh, it's kind of been a project that we started or I co-founded about a year ago. Um, Basically we designed it as an entrepreneurial, an online entrepreneurial community um, with the podcast piece of it uh, as well, um, a blog, and then uh, we're just focused on building up the community. Obviously, there, what I found, especially in Canada more than some of the other areas, is that there's, uh, there's pockets of great entrepreneurial communities, but there really isn't an overarching one that really can help um, entrepreneurs across Canada. And so what we want to focus on is, is kind of building that spirit across Canada. And so we're doing a lot of different things um, to make that happen. Obviously, like I mentioned already, we have the podcast, we have the blog. Um, and then one thing we launched um, kind of mid last year was that, that launch 12 and 12 project. And basically, the fundamental um, idea behind that project is just to show people that it's really not that difficult to start something, to basically start pursuing an idea, to start working on something, um, with the idea in mind that we were going to launch essentially 12 businesses over the span of 12 months. And those can be a very a variety of different businesses and a variety of different ideas. And so people head over to launch12and12.ca. They can see a, we're about six months in now, so they can see a variety. Like we've done a variety of different things, whether it be uh, you know an online coffee product, um, a couple of different online stores, um, you know a, a, an email newsletter, obviously a podcast. We've actually detailed that one out a little bit on the blog as well. And so we we've done a variety of different things, and more so just to provide that. I don't necessarily want to call it the blueprint because each business is different and how people do things is different. But just to kind of help people understand that if you can break things down to basically the, the, the MVP or the least common denominator, it really doesn't need to get that complicated. And uh, I think that's really where kind of a lot of things break down is that people kind of think, and it's, it's obviously great to have big ideas, but it can sign, it can, you know, I call it, paralysis by analysis, right? Where basically they start overthinking things and um, it ends up being a lot more challenging just to get going. Oh, wow. Um, 
I'm overwhelmed. Can I ask? So, would you say that that just the the idea that open starting your own company, being an entrepreneur, is too complicated or too complex? Do you think that's the first mistake that people make then? I think that's one of the first ones for sure. Is I think that you know they they get frozen even in just in just what idea to pursue, or how to pursue it, and so that that really doesn't like even just getting started is is a challenge. And so um, that in itself, I think, is probably the 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 most the first step. And then obviously, I think there's mistakes after that that they make. But I think that that fundamentally is really where it breaks down even before people can even get going. Yeah. So talk a bit about the financial aspect of it. Obviously, 12 businesses in 12 months, um, we're not talking about a lot of overhead. We're not talking about, well, if only I have a $12,000 whatever, then my business will fly. You're kind of starting pretty lean. Kind of talk a bit about that. Yeah, I think that's that's really got to be the key. And I think that's where a lot of it breaks down right now is, let's face it, 15, 20 years ago, you know, you needed, you know, 200k you and you, you you know you probably needed to sign a, if you were if you opened a store or opening a business you needed a lot of upfront capital and you needed you know you like they were going to sign a, a lease on a building you were going to do all these things but the modern economy and the way the way the modern business works is you don't necessarily need to do all those steps to make things to make things happen and i think that's what we want, basically what we wanted to do with this project was really show people that you don't need really anything so one of the things that we tried to do, obviously, in the first, well, with, with, with all of these, but even in the first couple, was just show people that, you know, you can launch basically with nothing. And you can start with an idea, start doing some promotion, start getting some traction. Um, and really what the next step is and what, you, what needs to happen is just do that market validation. I think sometimes we get focused on building what we think people want versus what they actually want. And so... You know, without actually doing that market validation, which is you know huge, you know you could, and going out there and getting a bunch of financing for an idea that maybe you haven't actually confirmed that it's actually valid and people actually need it or want it or are going to buy it. So, so what's what's a sort of concrete example of a market validation, Rick? Because sometimes people out there are intimidated by some of the business jargon that as entrepreneurs like to throw around. Um, well, there's lots of I guess different examples, but really like what we've tried to do. Um, trying to come up with a with a kind of a good idea as to what people can do for market validation. But I, I, to be honest, I recently Im, I recently Im, uh, interviewed um, for our for the Launchcast, which is a podcast that we run in, in regards to the launch, a company called Lending Loop. And basically, what they did was they actually talked about how they how they went out there and talked to potential customers, and basically spent the time to to, to interview businesses that that fit their niche before they even spent any time at all building their MVP. And that's really, you know, it's sometimes it's hard to think, oh man, I, I don't like I don't necessarily want to go and do that legwork and actually confirm that people actually want a product. But really just sitting down with who you think your potential customers are and understanding their pain points, you know, that's really what it comes down to, is just having that conversation with 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 people and finding out. Um, and really, that's kind of the simplest form of market validation. Um, but you can obviously can do that in a variety of different ways. You can do surveys. You can do things like that. But really, to, to actually understand how what people are, what people are wanting, you know, is even just having a simple conversation with them. I find that's often the point. If you watch Dragons Den or Shark Tank, that market validation is often the point of like, okay, we're going to take you seriously, or yeah, go home. You're just a person with an idea right now. 
if if you sort of have no, what have you done to show me people want this? Sure, it looks like a cool idea in hindsight or your blueprint, or your prototype. You're doing these things, but you have no sales. You have no real plans for sales. You have no survey results. Like what? What? How do we know people will pay money for this? Um, and I think that's important for any entrepreneur because we tend to jump around and do a lot of different things. So without that, you can kind of just be stuck uh, turning your wheels. Yeah, and I think oftentimes what happens is that people end up essentially building something and hiding right there. And I think it's almost fear of feedback, which feedback, especially when you're in early stages, is probably the most important part of your business. Because like I mentioned before, you could build something and you could spend a ton of time building something that nobody wants or nobody needs. Um, but it is that fear of actually somebody giving you essentially some some criticism, and some of it may not be constructive, um, to actually say this is good or this isn't good, and here's how you can and here's how you can improve it, right? So it's a uh, and so oftentimes if you spend all this time building and hiding, like you said, it, it ends up just being an idea, but you haven't actually confirmed that people want it or are going to buy it. And even after that point, then so you've done your market validation. You haven't spent a whole lot of time kind of running a big business plan or going out applying for small business loans or anything. You're working on selling it for or knowing that it could be sold first. What's the what's the next what comes after that? Then do you start you buy all the infrastructure and you I'm obviously assuming that that's not what you do. <laughs> yeah, and I think again it comes down to um, kind of controlled growth. I think, you know, it's very easy to to have these dreams of going out and getting, you know, large, you know, large funding, things like that. And obviously depending on your idea and depending on what you're launching or what you're building, it can require some investment for sure. Um, but I think, you know, you have to kind of work through that. Again, goes back to that kind of the, that, that MVP. So once you've validated your market and, and understand, okay, yeah, there is a need for what's here, then you can start working on kind of the, the smallest common denominator of, of trying to address that need and scale up from there, right? We talk about one of the projects we're working on right now is our, one of the projects that we've kind of pseudo-launched as part of the Launch 12 and 12 project is a, is a platform called LunchSpark. And it's essentially a platform designed to help essentially business people meet together um, in their local area. Now, we could spend a ton of time building that product and we could spend hours and hours, you know, software development, building something, but it doesn't need to be that complicated. If, you know, we've confirmed that there's some people that are, we've confirmed an initial audience that's interested in it. And so now what we're doing is basically what's the least common denominator to build this, to actually get it out to the world, to get feedback on it, and then to iterate on it again and again. You know, it's that whole, you know, the mantra of, you know, just, you know, move fast and break things, or basically just keep iterating a product until you get up to that point where maybe you need to scale it even larger and take out larger investment. But I think you can really build it and and scale it in a manner that, you know, doesn't need that 60-page business plan, doesn't need you going to the bank to, to have to get huge investment, you know, off the hop, right? So... Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading a book recently It was uh, recommended to me by a guy who teaches entrepreneurship, which I always love that you teach entrepreneurship. But this guy's legit. Uh, he's, he's founded and started uh, over a dozen things, and he teaches at Red River College here in Manitoba. And uh, the book, anyway, is by John Genie, and it's called Hunting in a Farmer's World. And uh, I think a lot of us uh, teachers, from the teacher side of things, we're farmers, right? It's like do A, A B, C, follow process, this, that. 
and eventually you'll get the result. It's like formulaic. Uh, if you do the business plan, here's the things you need in your business plan, and then it's a good business plan at that point. And that's just not simply how a successful entrepreneur can do it. Uh, they, they, it's not a formula. They have to be messy and break things and invent something new and do one-offs and pivots and all these different uh, messy things that don't look nice in a textbook right away. So I would recommend that. I don't know. I think it's exactly what you're saying um, and, and what your own experiences have likely led you to. Yeah, I think there's a certain appeal to, and for me, obviously, I'm an experimenter, right? And so for me, it's one of those things that it's, you know, it sounds cliche in the sense that people talk about, you know, it's not the journey, it's the, or it's not the destination, it's the journey. Um, but for me, I'm just, I just like to try different things. And so it kind of lends myself well to trying these things, seeing what works, what doesn't, you know, documenting the results, trying them again, do it again, maybe try something different, you know, and it kind of lends it self-well to learning along the way. And I think that's really, you talk about entrepreneurs and you talk about how they do things. I think that the true ones, you know, you're right, like they don't follow the formula of X, you know, A, B, C, D. They're off, you know, bouncing all over the place, maybe trying a couple different things, but they're learning along that path as to what works for them and what doesn't, so. I remember there was a small business startup program in Ontario for a while that is now gone. Um, and when I was first starting this business, I had done I had done the market research because I'd been working in a bank for so long, and I knew what clients were not getting. But but I thought that what you needed to do it, it was exactly what you're describing. Oh, I need to write a business plan. It has to be six to like, and I, it was just in, it was insane. There were charts that had no connection with reality, and I'm not a risk taker, so that was really appealing to me. Like, well, if I just sit here and get this business plan perfect, I'm not taking any risk. And then very quickly I realized I had to throw that out the window and now everything is all uncomfortable and new and I don't like trying new things, but apparently that's what I do now. So <laughs> no business plan. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that whole model has changed a bit where it's, you know, the the idea of, you know, writing up this, you know, spending all this time writing up a sixty page business plan, going to a bank, basically praying that you'll get a loan, waiting three months to get that loan and then and then doing something from there. You know, I think the opportunities, even for alternative financing, right, when you're starting up, right? We're talking, you know, a few months ago we interviewed a company that basically started their business via crowdsource and via via crowdfunding, right? Um, they launched an Indiegogo campaign, raised their first $10,000, and basically started from there. Um, you talk about, we talk, we mentioned already, Lending Loop and kind of that lenders, that lending marketplace idea where it's not a true, you know, financial institution, but it provides an alternative way of funding. And even just bootstrapping it, kind of, kind of what we talked about already, where basically you're, you're starting small and you're iterating up, um, and you're basically reinvesting instead of, again, committing to those large, capital investments and things like that. And obviously, like I said already, it really depends on what you're launching, right? If what you're launching or what you're building requires a ton of infrastructure, you know, requires, if you're building a, a retail store, like an actual physical storefront, well, obviously there's going to be different costs and different things associated with that than launching an online startup. <laughs> do, you, do you find, Rick, ever uh, in terms of maybe personal finance mistakes entrepreneurs, I, I find it interesting because entrepreneurs by nature <laughs> want to throw everything they have into their project or their business or their or their six companies or, or whatever they're up to. And the personal finance side of me goes, you're not diversified at all. Uh, that's really risky. Um, as an entrepreneur, are you like, no, I like to see that confidence in investing in yourself or is it is it a good idea to diversify and throw a little bit of a personal finance element into it? I think I think it's important to have that have that divide. Obviously, I agree that I think there's lots of um, 
mistakes that people make, you know, myself included probably along the way where I maybe didn't separate personal and business. It's funny actually, we actually interviewed a, a few, uh, another entrepreneur a little while back who basically talked about how she had a complete separation, which is almost unheard of a lot of times, a complete separation between her personal finance and her business finance. And, you know, she paid herself. And basically her first goal for her business was actually to pay herself something and be cash flow positive and do those things, which, again, um, I wish it happened more because I think there is that, that tendency to, you know, you, especially when you get on to, when you get latched onto an idea, to basically go all in on it. Um, I, you know, I, so I think there's still a challenge that comes up. Um, I, so I, you know, I wish there, I wish there was probably more of a separation, but yeah, I think there's still a challenge for sure. And I'm jumping in there because that was totally me. And I mean, I'm seeing like, I remember the first time I went to Sandy and was looking for advice and that's, that's actually one of the, you know, early parts of sounding my relationship was I went to her for some advice and opened my books and she's like, you mean you don't have a separation between your business and your personal? And my response was, you mean I'm supposed to? But I think that just goes to the mindset of an entrepreneur. You know, on the one hand, Rick, you're talking about, you know, the entrepreneur who feels they have to have all their ducks in a row to go to, to actually do something. And there's that analysis, the paralysis analysis, whatever the jargon is there, you know, you got that thing going, but on the other side, you wrote a great article called stop reading about Zuck, you know, which <laughs> talks about, you know, yeah, these, these, this 1%, this, you know, if that's kind of where you're at, you know, that's, that might, it might never be you. It might be, but it's probably not ever going to happen to you. And that's for entertainment value. But I think as an entrepreneur, I have believed that every idea I have will turn me into Zuck. And that's just kind of, so we just go all in and it's like, you know, I know I need to pay bills, but don't worry, it's coming in. So there's the really entrepreneurs kind of you might never get started or you're so all in and you sink yourself have you is that your common experience have you seen that in people or yeah I think that is I think that is probably the uh, very common um, idea is that and I think it comes back to two things one is people oftentimes they don't even start because they just don't have enough you know, they just don't think it's going to be a home run, or like you said, or they go all in on something that maybe doesn't doesn't necessarily need to, doesn't require them to go all in on it. Um, I think really the fundamental lesson there is basically just start small um, and continue to build things because as you do that, you'll continue to learn and be able to improve on that, right? And I think it even comes from, you know, the idea, even going back to the financial side, by starting small, you're not going to commit you know, all your money, you're not going to invest all your money that you have into an idea that maybe isn't quite ready for prime time yet. Not to say it's not a bad idea, but maybe it just isn't quite ready and isn't quite there yet to actually worth, it isn't worthwhile, that commitment. And it's funny, it was, we, I, I interviewed, like we've done about 15 or so episodes of the LaunchCast, which uh, the LaunchCast just um, basically talks to entrepreneurs who've just launched in the last kind of two years. I've never once heard any of them and it's funny because it's, 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 you would think you would expect it. I never once heard any of them say, I wish I had more money. Um, and, it's, and it's really, it's, it's an interesting perspective because oftentimes people think, oh, I wish I had money to start this idea. But all these people that we've interviewed who've launched a product in the last two years, um, they never once said that. They've, you know, when, when you talk about their biggest challenge, it's never been not enough money. It's always been, 
um, oh, I wish I, you know, I wish I would have had done more market validation, or I wish I would have done more research before I started, or you know, these types of things. So, it's just, you know, it's one of those things that you know people think they need it, but I think oftentimes they kind of jump the gun and maybe don't need the money as early as they think they do. Hmm. You know, I end up talking to a lot of people who want to start financial planning practices like mine. And one of the things that I hear a lot is people saying, well, by next month I need to be making X number of dollars. And it's, I mean, it's very hard. I, I had the luxury of starting the business without needing any of the income from it. And, so, and, and, and by nature I was a very, I'm not even going to use the word frugal, I was super cheap. Like I was on the last, <laughs> it, was, it was not, I, I, didn't, I, I put the minimum amount of money into the business and didn't have to take any out. So that was kind of the perfect storm of luxury for starting a business that, you know, you could take the, I could take the time to build it up and, and then see how the cash flow went and obviously keeping everything separate. So if you don't have that luxury, though, if you need to, your business to make money, I honestly don't really know where I was going with that. <laughs> well, well, it allowed you a lot of freedom, I would bet. Sandy, it didn't trap you into anything, and and those those folks that are coming to you saying, "I need to make this much money," um, well, one, they're going to find it super hard to do that, mm -hmm. and uh, if they do find a way to do it, they're not they're not going to be making decisions with long term success in mind or with like building a firm platform in mind. They're going to be doing it for how do I get money tomorrow? Yeah, and and I I mean maybe it'll work for some of them, but I wouldn't think it will be that successful. It, I imagine it would be really hard then to do what Rick was describing, like just let it grow slowly and kind of throw a few things at the wall and see what sticks, right? Maybe. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think that oftentimes, um, you know, this is going to sound strange coming for me because I'm, you know, by nature I think I'm a little bit of a risk taker, but I'm. Uh, if, if you're in the position where you need money tomorrow from your business, from your startup, you probably shouldn't jump all in. Um and I think by nature, if not, that that's not to mean you shouldn't start it, but it just means you shouldn't go all in on it, right? There's like I mentioned before, there's opportunities there to kind of do some initial building of a business while you're still working at something full time. And I think that's a you know it's oftentimes we get kind of and there's certain entrepreneurs that are, or certain people who just get basically overcome by an idea and it's just like I need to do this right now, and they don't necessarily think about the practicality of jumping in, spending all their money, and, you know, not having a firm idea as to whether it's going to sell or not. And I think it's, you know, you're right, it lends itself well to, you know, to failure because people are, are essentially not finding the right customer. And I think that's fun. That's that's also important. And we actually talked about that a couple of times. We've run a couple of different mastermind groups here. And um, one of the things we talked about is, and one of the feedback people get is, give, is that, they're not necessarily looking for more customers, but they're looking for the right customers. Um, and so if you're motivated by just trying to make that dollar by next week, you're going to go and take work that you shouldn't take. You're going to go and find, and it's going to kind of lead you, lead you down a path that next thing you know, six months from now, 12 months from now, your business that you thought of, that you thought it was going to be is not going to be what you want it to be, right? So, And I've lived that. I've lived that 100%. I've taken on the client. And here, just a word of advice to entrepreneurs. If you are at a point where you've got this client in front of you and it's like, I really don't like them. I know this isn't going to work, but I need the money. 
that's not a good place to be, you know? And I've been there, and it's kind of like, I don't think I want to work with her. And then, you know, you take it, it's a pain in your butt, and then she cancels after two months anyways. So it's like, you just got to trust your gut, and yeah, don't put yourself in a position where you have to make the money. But if you do, hey, you got to do what you got to do. Hustle, baby, do what you got to do. Yeah, it's kind of a classic 80-20 rule, right? You talk about the Pareto principle. In fact, I think with a lot of businesses, it might even be more like the 5 and 95 or the 10 and 90, where a very small amount of your customers are 90% of your problems. Um, you know, the, again, uh, as a, like a, a very small uh, scale entrepreneur or a, or a light entrepreneur myself, um, I've really taken that to heart and just hit delete more and more often as I go through and try to eliminate that 5 to 10%. But you gotta make your mistakes to find out what that cutoff point is. If they're just a momentarily uh, difficult person or having a bad day, you can't say, oh, "I don't want to deal with that person at all." Um, but yeah. But I found too that if you if you lose sight of the reason that you're an entrepreneur in the first place, um, which could be different for everybody. Maybe you just, maybe you really want to work 120 hours a week, but you have a kind of job where you you know you can't do that. But if you lose sight of why you're doing it in the first place. Um, yeah, you can start building a business that it may be a great business, it might be a great value or a good product or any of those things, but it's not it's not enjoyable. And it's not I don't mean that you know you have to enjoy every minute of every day, but if you find yourself not really wanting to do this this thing that you've started, maybe you started the wrong thing. <laughs> well, I think it's it's really easy to lose focus quickly. Like oftentimes, like you said, you can start. You can start, oh, I'll just take this one because I need it, and then it's the next one that I need it. And then you start making decisions based on, you know, okay, I'll just, you know. And like I said, yeah, it's really easy to kind of go off on a complete tangent versus, and like Jackson said, you know, we've, we've all been there. We've all been there where we've, and it's all about learning from that experience too, where I think that as people start out, they can you can kind of shape um, over time. And But one of the good exercises that I like to try to tell people to do is, Really sit down, and, and it's and it's sometimes you know people are like, oh, it's pointless exercise, but really sit down and try to define that that target customer or that that you believe it, and take the time to do that right off the hop, right? And it's you know like go as detailed, uh, like give them a name, you know, go through the whole process, like what is their occupation, how old are they, you know, all these things, because then you can kind of super narrow it down as to who you're actually building something for. And then you can take that to the next level and obviously go back to what we talked about, doing your research and doing your kind of your, your verification of, you know, is this an actual pain point that you think, right? But I think sometimes if we don't, if you skip that first step and you're not really super focused as to um, who your audience is or who your target customer is, that's when you start going off in all these different directions and not actually understanding, okay, who am I building this for? And you start doing work that maybe you don't necessarily want to. So... Okay, so there's there's no right next there's no right answer to this, but I'm gonna take it to the next. So we've talked about starting, we've talked about how to you know how and when to start, but how do you grow? And I think that's how do you scale? How do you? And again, there's no right or wrong answer, but I mean, when do you hire somebody? When do you look for money? When do you realize okay, I'm, I I gotta expand? When like what what are some tips or what are some things that you found success in that you can hopefully share with people and maybe I can learn something because I'm at that point in my business it's like I'm ready to go but I don't know what the next step is do I hire somebody here do I hire somebody here do I go with my strength do I shore up my weakness like advice 
That's a that's a pretty heavy question for yeah, sure. I know. That's, uh, I told you I was going to hit you with a heavy question. <laughs> this is that heavy question. Yeah. Um, and I don't think there is. And I think you're right. There really isn't a right answer, and it really depends on on each business. I think there's I think there's opportunities though to start as you get larger and as um, your business is growing or as you're generating more clients or more revenue. There's an opportunity to potentially um, find uh, areas where you can grow or where you can maybe delegate some responsibility and you know we've had this conversation before both many times you you and I Jackson in regard in regards to you know do you shore up your weaknesses or do you work to your strengths and I think we both agree that oftentimes you know it makes more sense to work to your strengths and find and offload those those um, challenging areas um, and it's really hard to do everything right like and this is actually it's funny because we we've had this conversation a few times where you know, especially in the first few years, and especially as business is growing, it's really hard to do everything right. So it's it's better to get early on to get um, involved with people who can um, help you, you know, make those right decisions. And whether that's you know whether that's bringing in legal advice or whether that's bringing accounting, obviously if that's not your strong suit, or, or marketing help. And you know, it doesn't necessarily mean to go hire a marketing person. You know, there's like I said, with the with the kind of the, the market the way it is now, there is an opportunity to you know piecemeal that work out, to to work with freelancers, to work with other opportunity or other people who are doing kind of things in that regard, whether it be like I said, freelancers or whether it be you know other you know, options um, to to help build that business out and help kind of make those right decisions. But you know, growing is it's always kind of a, a challenging topic because I think when coming or depending on the business that you're in, you know, that could, growing is kind of kind of a, a loaded word too because, you know, do you want to grow revenue? Do you want to grow customer base? Do what, what exactly is your is your definition of, of how you want to grow that? Because you can do that a variety of different ways. So I know I kind of skirted your question. Oh, a no, lot. you didn't skirt it. You nailed it. And Sandy, I can see her eyes are lighting up. She's like, he's talking about clarity. Sandy is all about clarity. Yeah. And yeah, I think you nailed it there. Tell us a little bit about uh, the freelancer and your experience dealing with freelancers. And, you know, I mean, because obviously most of us think, I got to grow the business. Now I have to hire an assistant or I have to hire somebody to do this. You know, as the economy changes, as the online marketplace changes, and we do have a lot of more digital access to people, uh, what is there a freelance market out there? Like uh, maybe throw some websites out there and we can throw it on the resource list. But yeah, what's your experience with freelancers? You know what's funny is I, I've, I've actually had good success. Um, I've done it a couple of different ways. One is obviously um, working with local freelancers that, that, I'm, that I'm able to kind of establish that personal relationship with and then they understand um, what what I want a little better. What I've found is if you're going to freelancer sites like Odesk, like Freelancer, like Elance, things like that, if you're very specific in what you want and it's very task or detail oriented, so for example, I want XYZ, so I want a graphic done up for my newsletter for this date, um, you're likely to get good results. If you're very vague, because maybe you don't know what exactly it is you need, it's a little more challenging to get the results you want from um, kind of the, the commodity marketplace, the freelancer marketplace, like the online marketplace. So what I found is really depending on where you're at and what exactly you're looking for, um, both 
sides of it will work really well. So if you have a really specific request, go up to the marketplace, um, put it out there, and you'll probably be able to get something back that's that's of decent quality. Um, but if you're if it's a little more vague or you kind of have some ideas but you don't really know where to go with it, um, you can. It's obviously much better in that case, I think, to turn to some some local um, or somebody you know maybe that you can have have a little more interaction with and a, and a little more back and forth with to discuss your needs and to actually come up with an idea. Um, I think and I think there's certain areas where um, you can really have that have those discussions. When you talk about web design, you talk about graphic design, things like that. It's almost better in my mind to maybe have a little more personal interaction, especially if you're building, essentially trying to build a brand, um, to have that personal interaction with somebody to actually work with them, so they can come, so they can really understand what what it is the message you're trying to convey. So. What I found, especially when actually it's funny you talk about freelancers, because one of the uh, like the, the community that we've kind of built like around the launch, a big portion of it is freelancers, and we're actually finding that the market is changing a bit. Where um, we're seeing companies not necessarily hire employees to do, and obviously there's still by nature there's still companies that are doing that, but especially smaller market companies, we're seeing this freelancer kind of idea whether it be freelance web or freelance graphic designers or communication specialists, all these things, we're seeing that kind of, there's an influx right now of people kind of are coming at it from that perspective as opposed to, you know, I need to go get a graphic design job at XYZ. You know, it's more like I'm going to I'm gonna just go do this on my own um, because it gives them the creative freedom to basically come at different projects as opposed to be kind of narrowed down to one specific brand or one specific company. Hmm. <laughs> We're all just absorbing it. I'm just, I'm loving, I'm, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm sorry, I actually, my mind's You're like. taking notes. I could totally, I could, I was, I actually started taking notes over my other screen. I'm like, I gotta do this, and I gotta do this. So, it just no, makes I think a that lot nails of sense, Because I've seen it from the other side, and, uh, and I think that some people are choosing to go that route, and then I think there's a little bit of market forces at work forcing people to go that route too, where the traditional job market uh, is drying up, and to get a quote-unquote like marketing job or graphic design job, it's it's not there, uh, and and there there people are left, and with all the education people are getting now, we're seeing more and more educated, good people from all backgrounds that are available for freelance, and so it's I think the market is. The supply and the demand are both there, and it's sorting itself out right now. And in, oh, go ahead. Sorry, Roger. I was going to say an, 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 another interesting side effect of that, that I'm seeing too is that a lot of these a lot of these companies that are breeding these freelance designers, because a lot of them come from companies. Basically, what they're doing is they're trying to create a culture, but by nature, they're actually creating a culture that actually is essentially encouraging these people because they're creating this free culture this you know what you know we're going to create essentially this startup type culture within there within the, the advertising agencies or wherever it might be these types of businesses and then by nature they're they're basically instilling this mindset in their employees and then within a few years these employees are leaving these companies to become freelancers so you know by nature these companies are trying to create a, a good culture but they're probably also creating a culture of people wanting to go out and pursue opportunities on their own yeah well, and to me, that's the biggest. People have a lot of skills, and it's really exciting to see the way that technology can connect this skill over here with that need over there. 
And to me, of course, what I'm always going to go back to is you can be really, really skilled and have a really great product that you're delivering, kind of freelance or not, but if you're not organized kind of in the back end, if you don't have your accounting set up, it's a really easy way to sink that ship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And actually, it's one of the things that, you know, one of the kind of the initial concepts um, way back when and kind of the, where the launch kind of stemmed from was that that collaborative atmosphere, right? So because the, we know that, you know, it's funny because I talk to a lot of people, like a lot of entrepreneurs that um, that face similar challenges. And so, you know, if they can work together and start chatting together and start understanding, okay, you know what, I'm challenged, I'm, I'm having problems with my accounting. And at least, you know, it kind of creates that, that um environment where they can turn to each other and, and start asking those questions and start fixing those problems before it does sink the ship, for sure. There we go. We, well, we should probably wrap up. I'm just going to ask you one loaded question. If there's one thing that you've learned over your experience with the launch and doing what you're doing, or maybe in your own business, you know, one piece of advice that uh, it doesn't even have to relate to finance, but uh, an entrepreneur is sitting in front of you, what advice would you give them? I mean, I know you've talked a lot already, but... Pearls. We're looking for pearls here. Yeah, and I think, you know, I've said it already a couple of times, but I think it goes back to a couple of different things. One is um, don't be afraid to experiment with ideas. Um, just because you think an idea is a home run doesn't necessarily make, mean it is, but if you have multiple ideas, you know, don't, forget, don't be afraid to put them out to the world and get feedback on them. Um, and the other piece of it, like I mentioned a few times... Uh-oh. <laughs> the other piece of it, we're waiting for the... Yeah, it was the other piece of advice, and he's frozen. The other piece oh, of the advice, it? you can find it on the launch.ca, which yeah, is exactly where Rick wants you to end up. So. <laughs> oh, he's back. He's back. Yeah. Sorry, guys. We missed, that last, we missed the last one. And the last piece of advice, and then you froze like this. <laughs> and we thought you were like the, the beat was going to drop. Okay, drop the beat on us. Yeah, you know... Last piece of advice is don't tell every people or don't tell don't tell them everything you know, right? So exactly. <laughs> well, hey. well, thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Good connecting with you. And we'll uh, if people want to find you, they can go to thelaunch.ca. Follow you on the Launchcast. You're on Instagram. You're kind of everywhere online. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. They can they can then head over to launch.ca. They can go over on Twitter at thelaunch.ca. You can find me on Twitter myself at Richard Finney. Um, yeah, we're we're pretty much all over the place. So. Cool. Well, appreciate you coming on the show. Take care, my Thanks. friend. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye now. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Because Money is a labor of love and involves no ads or other sponsorship, be sure to click the like or subscribe button where you downloaded this from, as we'll help other listeners find the podcast and raise our profile, which in turn makes it easier to book guests. Please visit becausemoney.ca for show notes and related links.